We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Happy Friday, college basketball fans. The weekend is here, but more importantly, your favorite college basketball bracketology show on the internet is back for its second episode of the first week of the season for us. I'm Greg Waddell. I'm joined by Lucas Harkins and making his debut this season on Fielding the 68. It is Brad Wachtel. Brad, it's good to see your face again, my friend. How you been? I've been great. Good to see you too, Greg. Good to see you, Lucas. Can't wait to do this up again. You got to love it, Lucas. This is day number two this week for you. You were with us on our debut show Monday afternoon at 530. You're back today on Friday. Uh, is there any like, you know, the, the the sequel feeling for you here? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling more prepared today? Oh, no, I just feel worse for the people listening. They get back to back episodes with you and I. Uh, <laughs> they're going to be counting their lucky chickens that, Brett, that, uh, that we don't have Rocco joining us. So we get a little different, different, different show tonight. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, Kevin Sweeney's going to have his hands full next week trying to top this. I can promise you that. Hey, it's a great weekend slate tomorrow here in college basketball. There's a bunch of games looking forward that uh, are going to impact the way that these two experts work on their seed lists. Uh, we also had a bunch of games this week leading up to today that have changed things since our Monday show. So let's start there. Let's look backwards before we look forwards. Uh, I'll throw it to you, Brad, first. What games from this past week most impacted the NCAA tournament for you? So for me, number one, without a doubt, uh, was Texas winning at Oklahoma. Uh, Texas has really been came out of nowhere the last few weeks. Um, they had been ranked in the top 25 for a while, but they never had any substance on their resume. And then all of a sudden, when you play in the Big 12, what does that mean? That means you have opportunities. And Texas got a win at Oklahoma. They previously beat Baylor. Before that, they won at Cincinnati. Next thing you know, they got three wins over tournament teams, including two wins away from home. And for me, that's a team that went from out of the field, hoping to get on the bubble, to relatively safely in the field, comparing them to every other bubble team uh, that we're dealing with. So for me, that was the number one game, uh, without a doubt. I like that shout for Texas. Uh, Lucas, do you agree that Texas was big? And then give us your choice from this past week. Yeah, I think that was the biggest one um, from a sheer individual team standpoint was Texas's ability to move. Just like Brad, they moved for me um, from outside to pretty safely on the inside of the field. 
but there's also a couple games that just kind of have twofold impacts. Um, so Providence winning at Seton Hall uh, against Seton Hall is huge uh, because not only does Providence boost, but they also drop another bubble team a little bit further. Um, you can say the same as regards to uh, St. John's and their victory over Villanova. Um, and same with Florida over Mississippi State, two teams that are kind of hovering around the cut line right now, getting the opportunity to boost your own and a win and also drop someone else in your same area. Mm, good call outs there as well. All right, I have a couple that I circled that uh, I was wondering if you guys would immediately lead off with, and neither one of you did. You know, I got to start uh, in my Big Ten, gentlemen. Northwestern got the overtime win at home against Illinois. I thought that was one of the more entertaining wins of the season. Northwestern, one of the teams we were most divisive on on Monday, if you remember. There were some of our experts who had them firmly in the field. Some had them just below the cut line. Uh, I'll throw it right back to you, Lucas. What did the Northwestern win do for the Wildcats stock? Yeah, you know, it's huge. I mean, I mean, it's always big to pick up a really good win, um, even on your home floor. Those are huge wins. Now, they're going to have two of the better wins in the country on the bubble right now. Um, that puts them in pretty safe positioning for me. Um, as far as safe goes at this point um, in the season, they're a 10 seed for me. Um, and really, that can shift so quickly at this point that the margins between really even an eight seed and the teams that are in their first eight or so out of the field can shift in a given week. Um, but I think Northwestern, its metrics are not great, but it's put itself in a position where it already has a, a leg up on most of the rest of the bubble teams as far as quality wins go. Brad, you agree on Northwestern? Are they firmly in your field right now? They are firmly in. I also have them as a 10 seed. I know the thing that concerns me with Northwestern and their resume, you know, obviously before the Illinois game, you know, their predictive metrics, 69 uh, net. You know, when you're 69 net, when you're around that area, around a 70, it's hard to really move up uh, the, the, the bracket. Um, but that win, we're trying to recover from that Q4 loss that they received earlier in the season. Um, that loss is always going to stick with them, and that's going to bring them down. So for me, their ceiling is still limited. Uh, but that win is, is huge because Illinois is a team now, obviously, with Terrence Shannon back. Um, they're going to be up in the top four or five seed range, you would think, the rest of the way. Yeah, Northwestern, I, I think you're right. Their ceiling is certainly limited from a resume perspective for certain reasons after that Chicago State loss. But uh, don't look Boudarius Bowie in the eyes and tell him that he has a ceiling, my friends. That man lives in a world with no ceilings, okay? Uh, hey, I want your stock watch opinions as well here. So not just games themselves that felt super impactful, but give me a team that uh, maybe particularly hurt their stock this week, and then we'll flip it and do who improved their stock this week after that. Brad, we'll go back to you here first. Who hurt their stock the most for you this week? Yeah, I know Lucas probably wants to touch on this team, so I'm going to let him have the other team. But I, I'll go with uh, Syracuse, actually. You know, Syracuse is not really a team that was on anybody's radar. They were probably – they were – last week they were in my uh, first four out. Um, resume is not great. But the one strength that Syracuse had heading into that game against Florida State was their strength of record. Their result-based metrics were strong. They were top 35 in both categories, and they were a team that was coming out of nowhere that potentially could have broken through the field um, with, a, with one really good week. But losing to Florida State, while isn't, the, isn't a bad loss, losing at home to them in a game that they should have won hurts them and really pushes them back down into irrelevance, unfortunately, for their sake. Um, so they, they have a lot of work to do. 
Um, playing in the ACC, you don't get many opportunities. So long road ahead for Syracuse, but we'll, we'll see what happens with them. Yeah, they let that snowball late too, right? It felt like it was a very back and forth one possession game. Syracuse had a lead even late in the second half. And then all of a sudden you look up, they're down 10 with a couple of minutes left in the game. That's not great for uh, for resume purposes, certainly. Lucas, uh, your thoughts on Syracuse as well, and then give us your team who hurt their stock the most. Yeah, I'm right with you um, on Syracuse right now. I think they, they climbed into just like me, uh, just like Brad, first four out. Um, as of Monday, but that loss really drags down those metrics to a point that's going to be difficult to overcome. I would I would have probably said them as the biggest loser of the week, too. Uh, it, to bring up some other names, though, Seton Hall, Villanova, um, some tough losses that have dragged them closer towards the cut line. I know we'll talk about the Big East more later in this show, but those two I'd point out. A third one, kind of a dark horse, is Drake. Uh, double overtime road loss to Missouri State. It, it It's not a bad loss. It's a double overtime road loss, but for a team that's going to not have a ton of opportunities in Missouri Valley play, those kind of losses hurt a team that's probably going to be at best right around the cut line all year. Brad, what do you think of Drake? Do you have any additional thoughts there? I just think for them, for their sake, getting an at-large bid is is not going to happen. Um, again, playing in Missouri Valley with the opportunities, I know, and Indiana State's, you know, had a, had a heck of a season. Um, but even in the end state, you know, who have they beaten? You know, and ultimately when it comes down to it with the, with the committee, who have you beaten? If you haven't beaten anybody, you're in trouble. Always keep that in mind. That's one of my phrases I learned last year on this program. Who have you beaten? And then I feel like I was watching the selection show and I heard the words, who have you beaten? I'm like... These guys, they tried to tell me. They tried to tell me that one. Uh, my my team here that I circled from this week that I wanted to ask you guys about is not necessarily – well, they're not close. They're not a bubble team. They're currently in the AP Top 25 right now. But I'm curious if they're really trending in the wrong direction. It's Colorado State. They lost at Nevada on Wednesday. This is now three consecutive road losses in the Mountain West for Nico Medved and the boys. Uh, I know there's a lot of people around our circles here with the Field of 68 who are fans of, of Nico's. He has really struggled to seal those NCAA tournament bursts from time to time. He's got one in his six years at Colorado State. Um, certainly this year's team looks like they should make it, but how many more road losses can they afford? Lucas, what do you think on the Rams? You know, I'm not super concerned on Colorado State right now. I, I've dropped them a tad, but I still have them on my seven line. Um, they have top 40 metrics across the board, except for the BPI, which notoriously hates the Mountain West. Uh, they have all four of their losses are in quad one. They've got a quad one A win to their name. I, I think they're in pretty good shape as of right now, especially in a Mountain West that really is pretty good. I mean, that's a Mountain West team that the Mountain West Conference that. At worst, five teams are going to be in the conversation um, for at-large bids this year and are in the conversation for at-large bids this year. Uh, so I think Colorado State's still in pretty good shape right now with a pretty significant leg up on those teams that are around the cut line. Brad, what line do you have Colorado State on right now? Is it a seven as well? So I currently have Colorado State actually as a six. Um, and I feel like, as Lucas mentioned, I feel good about them getting in. That win against Creighton on a neutral court, it is is huge, and Creighton's been playing really well. Um, I think the one area of concern for Colorado State, if they end up with some more of these losses, as long as it's not like losing the teams at the bottom of their league, because obviously that league is 
is very strong. Um, their their predictive metrics. So when looking at their their predictive metrics, I think their seed could drop a good amount. I mean, if you look at their you know their Kempom is in a good spot, but their BPI is eighty two, which is strange. It's like it's just one of those. There's a lot of metrics out there where some teams have strong result metrics, but bad predictive metrics. How do you figure out who goes where? Um, and ultimately, what the committee has told us, you know, over the last couple of years, your predictive metrics don't determine whether or not you get a seed. Uh, obviously, it's all about results. But if you are in the field, your predictive metrics could have impact of where you're seated. Um, so that's one thing to look out for Colorado State. Should they uh, falter a little bit more? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I uh, like I said, certainly didn't expect you guys to tell me, ooh, they're on the bubble now. They lost a couple tough road games. But a team that I felt early in the season could really work their way into a very, very nice, cushy little seed line, starting to worry that that's trending in the wrong direction as the season goes on. Um, on the flip side of this, give me a team who improved their stock the most this week. Let's start with you, Lucas. You know, there's quite a few. I mean, Northwestern did a really good job. St. John's, Texas. I think the one I don't think we've mentioned yet is South Carolina. Uh, they kind of needed a really good win, and they got it. Um, they already had pretty good metrics uh, in terms of resume, but really picking up that kind of win that they got earlier this week. Uh, now they're top 20 across the two resume metrics. They're top 60 across the two quality metrics. They're now 6-2 and two across the upper two quadrants. I think they've put themselves a much better position than they were a week ago, and I think probably trending more towards a single-digit seed line right now than they are trending towards the cut line. Wow, I know Brian Ralph is smiling somewhere. Uh, Brad, let's throw that to you. Uh, who is a team who improved their stock the most for you? Yeah, for me, I would say a couple teams come to mind. Um, Colorado is one team, and obviously we'll get a little bit later on with our bubble teams and who's last four in, first four out. So I won't let won't break the uh, the secret right now. But Colorado, playing in the Pac-12, not many opportunities, but they continue to win games. They continue to improve their metrics. They currently have a top 30 net. Um, they don't have any Q1 wins, uh, but their metrics are strong, So, which puts them right in the mix. Uh, so I, I feel like considering a lot of teams that were on the bubble that a lot of people may have had in the field lost, uh, they've improved just by winning games and beating teams that are maybe on the outside looking in. And then my other team is probably Texas Tech out of the Big 12. You know, like I said before, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity in that conference. Um, and they beat BYU. Um, the way Texas has played, and I'm talking about Texas, how they've played the last couple of weeks where Texas Tech won at has suddenly made that win look like a very good win. So they've sometimes you wins that you received earlier in the season don't become key wins until a few weeks later or a couple months later. And that's what we're looking like uh, here with Texas Tech, who is in a good, good spot with all of their metrics um, top to bottom. I love that shout for Texas Tech. And we got a chance to uh, record an interview with Grant McCaslin earlier this week. Field of 68 after dark. You can go watch that on the Field of 68 YouTube channel. But they just keep winning, man. You keep winning in the Big 12. Good things will happen. 
let's go to our one seeds next. So the way this works, as we mentioned on Monday, uh, our experts each individually provide us with their seed list. We then take those seed lists, we compile them together, and we have a consensus fielding the 68 bracket. So we'll hear from each of you individually, and then we will also unveil uh, our consensus bracket as well. We'll do that later in the show with our bubble teams when we get to those. But for now, it's our number one seeds. We'll start with Brad first. Who are your number one seeds as of today? Number one seeds are Purdue, UConn, Houston, and North Carolina. And I think these four teams is pretty clear cut. Uh, Purdue arguably has the best, not arguably, they have the best wins in the country. Uh, UConn is looking like a team that has the, the, the very good chance to repeat um, as hard as that is going to be. They're putting a resume that's even better than the resume they had last year, um, which was an excellent resume, and I thought their seed should have been better than what it was. Um, and then, of course, Houston in the Big 12. Um, I'm waiting to see Houston play some of these games against on the road against like a Kansas and a Baylor um, and a Texas because I'm curious to see how they will end up. Um, will they remain on that one line? Uh, can they beat some of those other top teams in the league away from home? That's going to be interesting to me. And then North Carolina out of the ACC is just as hot as anybody in the country. Um, and they are in a good spot right now to uh, hold on to that fourth number one seed for me. All right. Uh, I'm going to reserve commentary until I see Lucas's four one seeds. I'm very curious if we're going to have the same four teams. Lucas, who are your number one seeds? Yeah, I don't think you can argue with the four right now uh, of Purdue, UConn, Houston, North Carolina. I really think the only argument you can make right now is whether or not North Carolina or Houston should be the number three overall seed. I think Purdue and UConn in that order are one and two. Uh, North Carolina is undefeated on the road this season. Houston's number one across both quality metrics, while North Carolina is eight and six. I think that's the difference for me to give Houston that edge right now at the top. But I don't think there's really an argument to put anyone else on the one line right now other than those four teams. Interesting. All right, let's take a look at the consensus fielding the 68 bracket and see if they agree. And, of course, they do. Purdue at one, UConn at two, Houston at three, North Carolina at four, just as Brad and Lucas both had it. All right, well, let's. Let me ask one quick question here, and then we're going to go to break before our bubble teams. The one team that dropped off the one line since we had the show Monday is the team that lost to Oregon State last night. That would be the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, I would assume they didn't fall too far, but I guess I can't be sure unless I ask. Brad, where are the Wildcats for you right now? They're still a two seed for me. Uh, they definitely dropped on the two seed line, they're not the top two seed. They're actually my my third two seed uh, behind Tennessee and Kansas. Um, yeah, they're starting to pile up some losses. Um, and what could be detri detrimental to them if they happen to lose one at home to a team that's not in the NCAA tournament conversation, that's the type of loss that could really, really uh, push them down another seed. But you know, other than that, they still have a very solid resume. Um, they have some room to spare, but that was a very, very surprising loss last night to Oregon State. Lucas, where do you have Arizona? Yeah, they're my second two seed. Uh, they haven't moved. I think they had a relatively decent gap between themselves and the Wisconsin-Kansas group coming into that game still, although it's a much closer margin now than it was then. Uh, I don't think we had them as a one on Monday, did we? 
Hmm. Maybe I'm just totally misremembering that. I could have sworn. I thought somebody had them as their fourth. Huh. They were in talks. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I just get confused my BetMGM app, and I'm still angry at Arizona for laying eggs on the road constantly, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk bubble teams. Okay. We're going to get to last four in, first four out. I'm going to press these guys on the teams that have the most at stake as they build their brackets. That's next after the break. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Fielding the 68, Fielding 
the 68 is the field of 68. It's a bracketology show every Monday and Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern is where you can get insight from the best bracketologists in the business. We got Brad Wachtel and Lucas Harkins here with me today. My name is Greg Waddell. It's time to talk bubble, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's start with our last four in, as I alluded to in the one seed discussion before the break, how this works. Each of these guys provide us with a seed list before the show. It's unveiled to you at the same time that it's unveiled to us and to each other. And then we have a consensus fielding the 68 bracket as well that will ultimately reveal our teams from the hard work of these two combined with uh, our other two bracketologists who contribute to this show. Let's start with Lucas first. Give us your last four in as of today. So my last four in coming into today are Providence, Colorado, Kansas State, and Ole Miss. Uh, Providence bounces back into the field after their win over Seton Hall. Uh, I believe Brad mentioned it earlier that Colorado is kind of steadily growing in with a four-game win streak out there in the Pac-12. K-State's now 5-5 five and five against the upper two quadrants. They don't have a bad loss. They're pushing themselves back into the field. And, and Ole Miss, I just don't know what to do with them from a seeding standpoint right now. I, I think that their resume metrics are so good that they belong in the field. Uh, but quality metrics really drag them down towards the bubble right now, where I think this is a group that gets in the field but is the lowest seeded of the group. Mm. Yeah, Ole Miss is a very tricky one, uh, just from a viewer perspective as well. I feel like I've watched that team a ton of times this year. Don't even know if they're good, if they're bad, what? The 16-3 and record is great, but I would love to learn more. Uh, Brad, let's see your last four in and provide any commentary on Lucas's as well, if you have it. Sure. First of all, I, I can't argue with what Lucas has done. I mean, there are so many teams that are in the mix for bids. You could go one way or another. You can make an argument for every team and you can make an argument against every team. Um, but for me, my last four in teams begins with Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State is just two and four against quad one opponents. Um, while they have, the, have a Q4 loss, which is a killer for them and a 54 strength of record, uh, which puts them at the bottom of the field. If you look at what the committee did last year, no team got in with a strength of record better than 54. Um, so that puts them towards the bottom right now. Um, and their predictive metrics are, they're okay. Um, I also have uh, Providence. Um, don't know. Okay, never mind. Thought there was a little mix up, but there was not. This is accurate, of course. Uh, Ole Miss, uh, as Lucas mentioned, I'm not going to get into any details about them. He's exactly right. What do you do with a team like Ole Miss? Their predictive metrics are weak, so they go to the bottom of the field. That's what the committee does. Weak predictive metrics, strong result metrics. Where do you put them? You put them at the bottom. Um, next up, Providence, like Lucas mentioned, that win at Seton Hall is huge. How they play without their key injury uh, the rest of the way is going to determine where they end up. Um, so that's going to be something to watch for. Um, and then, of course, TCU is my last team in the field. Strong predictive metrics, but they're just 1-5 against quad one opponents, 2-5 and five against Q1 and Q2 opponents, and a really bad non-conference strength of schedule of 323. They're hanging in there, but look, Big 12 opportunities. There's going to be so much movement with Big 12 teams um, every single day they play. Yeah, uh, TCU is the one that I want to pick out from your group there, Brad, because uh, it's the most surprising one to me just as an observer of the sport at large who knows nothing about bracketology to see there. I, like, I see the 14-5 and five record. 
I see the win over Ken Palm's number one team in the country in Houston two weeks ago. And I think that's a big 12 team that's going to finish in the middle of the pack. I'm very surprised to see them in the mix with some teams from other conferences that, uh, in my mind, caliber-wise are a little bit lower. Um, I guess give me, give me the reason you're most comfortable having TCU that close to the chopping block right now. Yeah, so they're, they're two key wins. Both came at home, which, okay, it's good, but it's not – Winning on, like winning on the road, where that separates you from other people. So they beat Oklahoma as well as Houston, but just being just one in five against Q1, I think is a, is a major problem. And there are other teams that we'll discuss later on that don't really have many good Q1 wins or many Q1 wins in general. Um, but I think TCU needs some more, they need some more wins. They need some more quality wins. Just two Q1 and Q2 wins combined is not a good number at all. And you're, when you're looking at the percentage, winning two out of just seven games against quality opponents, that's something they have to improve on. This may be a really stupid question, but maybe there's other stupid people like me out there that want to ask it. Does how you lose matter? Like You look at TCU's last three losses. They lose by two points with some iffy calls down the stretch at Kansas. I don't think that's a bad result. They lose by a point at Iowa State. They lose in overtime on the road at Cincinnati. In the committee's eyes, is that just thrown out as, no, they're one and five in that quadrant? It's not just thrown out. Um, all of that stuff is baked into the metrics. And that's why TCU's metrics are, are pretty strong right now. Um, so that's, that's big. But still, a loss is a loss. They're not going to, okay, you guys tried, you get, a, you get an award for trying. Um, no, ultimately, you got to win games. Um, but they do get credit for playing close against top teams home and on the road. Um, like I said, that's, that's going to affect their strength of record. That also affects their Ken Palm. So just because you lose, there's, you're still, it's still helping you in the long run. Interesting. And I'll throw right, back yeah, at you, Greg. And I'll throw back at you, Greg, the recency factor that goes into those calls. Like right now, the Kansas stuff jumps out to you. But if you want to take the whole season at large, which is what we have to do here, uh, there's some lucky. There's, they're a lucky whistle away from having a quad three loss at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. Very true. Uh, yeah, and they cert- they certainly did not help themselves much in the non conference with their schedule alone, gentlemen. Um, you know, just a bunch of Kempog three hundred type wins. Ultimately, that's not going to look great. Three twenty six at fourteen five. A little misleading there. All right. Uh, Well, thank you guys for the insight there. I really appreciate that. Uh, Let's see our consensus last four in, and we'll see if you guys have anything you disagree with here. It's Kansas State. It's James Madison. It's Mississippi State. And it's TCU. Couple teams you guys named. Couple teams you did not. James Madison is one that uh, I'm surprised to see in this spot. Lucas, I'll throw to you here. Anything that jumps out as a surprise to you from our consensus last four in? No, I don't think so. Uh, Mississippi State and TCU, I didn't mention in mine, uh, my last four in. That's because Mississippi State is my fifth to last team in, and TCU is my seventh to last team in. Uh, as far as James Madison goes, um, I definitely do my auto bids slightly different than the rest of the group here. Um, I base my auto bids on who I would expect to be the favorite to win um, the conference tournament right now. And in the Sun Belt, that would be James Madison. So they earned my auto bid this week instead of being in the mix. Um, for an at-large, but I, I don't have a problem with them being in the FAP State's going to be um, the automatic bid selection either. I think those four teams are certainly right around the cut line right now. Interesting. Brad, any thoughts on our consensus? Anything you disagree with? 
Don't disagree with anything strongly. James Madison, of course, I think their chances of making the NCAA tournament, obviously they got to keep winning games. Um, but how Michigan State plays the rest of the way. If Michigan State can, and, and they have a very, Michigan State has a pretty favorable schedule com coming up over the next few weeks um, in games that they can win. Um, the more, yeah, right. The more games they win, the better, the higher the seed Michigan State gets, the better it's going to look for James Madison and will increase their chances because they won at Michigan State early in the season. Yeah. And some of that stay on top of that even. Just because we might not think Michigan State's a top 25 team, if you're going to look at the net as your sorting tool, the committee's going to see Michigan State as the 23rd best team in the country. Amen to that. Uh, yeah, it sounds like the Dukes should be dialed into Fox Sports 1, 8 p.m. Eastern tonight to see Michigan State on the road against Wisconsin. Let's move to the first four out. Uh, we'll start with Brad this time. Brad, who are your first four teams out of the field? So a team we just mentioned, James Madison. They're a team that I had as my last four in, but when Oregon State beat Arizona last night, that put Oregon as the leader in the Pac-12, which eliminated and at large bid. So the team that fell out for me was James Madison, but they're right there on the cut line. Um, like I, like we just talked about them. Like I said, keep winning games, keep hanging around, and, and you definitely have a shot. Uh, my next team out I have is Cincinnati, who I had in um, the last couple weeks. They didn't have a bad loss. They lost at Kansas, and you know they hung with them. They played pretty well straight, straight to the end. So it's not like the loss knocked them out, but other teams jumped them. Um, and in Cincinnati's case, they, they are just the numbers of the numbers, and they are just one in four Q1 and two and six against Q1 and two teams. Um, got the key win at BYU, beat TCU at home, who's a bubble team. In my eyes, again, they're a Big 12 team. It's going to work itself out. Just keep winning games, take care of business at home, home steal some on the road, and, and they have a chance to get back in the mix. Um, and then, of course, Colorado, who you mentioned. I just don't think there's enough substance on the resume, just zero wins against the field, even though their metrics are really strong. They're hanging in there for me. Um, and then my final team is Washington State, um, who co continues to play really well. They're just one in three against Q1 teams with a 61 strength of record, which is why they're out. But they do have some quality wins. They have three wins over the field in Boise State on a neutral court. They beat Arizona and they beat Utah. So they're a team, look, if they can keep stringing together some wins, improve their metrics, they could jump in the field pretty quickly for me. It's kind of funny to step back and think about there's two Pac-12 teams in here that are dropping a spot because of the Pac-12 result last night. And uh, it, it, with Washington State specifically, they're probably hoping that beating Arizona still feels like a difficult thing to do by the end of the season. The, the more teams that keep beating Arizona at home, the, the funnier that gets for me. And, and maybe the less funny it gets for Washington state's hopes. If that win starts uh, looking less and less impressive. Uh, Lucas, let's throw it to you next. Who are your first four teams out of the field? Yeah, I'm not too far off. Again, the same thing. I have a slightly different auto bid strategy than the rest um, of the group. So that puts Oregon in my first four out. I do not have them getting the auto bid. Um, so they're my third team out right now. Nevada, I, I think, sneaks back towards the cut line contention with its Colorado State win. Um, Virginia's pretty solid kind of across the board in terms of their resume. Their metrics are in the middle of the pack. The record's in the middle of the pack. I think they're just a touch behind with the rest of the bubble teams without anything really special that stands out. But they've gotten right there. 
Um, Florida's in the same mix, except Florida's without a quad one win so far this year. That's what they're going to need to pick up um, to really work their way onto the right side of the cut line for me. Um, as far as as comparing to Brad's, I also have Washington State close. They're my seventh team out of the field right now. Interesting. Okay. Um, a lot of Pac-12. A lot of Pac-12 teams that are all flirting with this line. That's my takeaway. Brad, what Pac-12 were you saying? I was earnings. Yeah, so I, I agree with Lucas. I think Virginia's a team that people aren't really talking about that much. It's hanging around, and they're right there. Another team I'll throw in the mix is another ACC team in Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech's got wins over Boise State and Iowa State on neutral courts, plus they beat Clemson. So they beat three teams that are in the field. And at this current moment, if you beat three teams are, are, that are in the field, that's really good. There are so many teams that are in the field right now that don't even have the three wins. Virginia Tech's issue is their metrics and their quadrant numbers, four and seven against just Q1 and two teams. Um, so I think they're actually really close, even though in the land of the ACC where you don't get many opportunities, if they could get another big one soon, they could find themselves right back in the mix uh, for a bit. Did, did someone say three okay. wins over the field? <laughs> we see the Butler logo behind Lucas there. Uh, yeah, wins over the field. I don't know what those are. That That's a foreign concept to me and my Michigan Wolverines. Uh, let's go to our consensus bubble teams here. Let's go to the first four out. This is from the fielding the 68 consensus bracket. So we have Providence, we have Colorado, we have Nevada, and we have Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati was in Brad's as well as Colorado. Uh, and then Nevada was in Lucas's as well. Providence, the one team that neither of you had in your first four out. Can we just go speed round? Uh, you may have mentioned this earlier, but just remind the people, where did you have Providence on your seed line? Lucas, we'll start with you. Uh, Providence is my fourth to last team in the field. And then Brad? I have him as my second to last team in the field. And again, they're being judged by how they play without Bryce Hopkins. Um, and that's all that matters. You know, they did pick up key wins early in the season against Marquette and Wisconsin. Those wins still count. There's no question those wins count. And maybe you don't need to pick up the wins over teams that are that seated that high, but you got to play well. And if they can play well and steal some more road games like they just did at Seton Hall, um, they, they got a good shot, but they're, they're going to be a polarizing team down the stretch for sure. Uh, yeah, we might need a two-on-two battle here between Lucas and Brad versus uh, Andy Bottoms and Rocco Miller, who apparently have Providence so far out of the field. It pushes two guys saying they're in to the first four out. That's insane, gentlemen. Uh, I, I have one more question for you guys while we're on the topic of the bubble teams. Uh, which teams were the hardest for you to seed? We'll start with Brad, and then we'll go to Lucas here. Yeah, definitely FAU tops my list. Um Their resume is just all over the place. They have, here's another team that beat Arizona um, on a neutral court. You know, they have the Q1 losses. They have a Q2 loss. They have a Q3 loss. They have a Q4 loss. They've got a little bit of everything. You beat Arizona on a neutral court, you lose to Bryant. Um, Obviously, we know what FAU has done last year and how they did last year has no impact on the, the bracket this year. Normally, a team like that would not have an impact. But for me... And I always say that they never have, it never has an impact what a team did the previous year. But because FAU came out of nowhere um, to have a dominant season and have an unbelievable run in the NCAA tournament, 
I feel like when it comes down to it, if they are on the border of a, let's say, a six or a seven seed or a five or a six, I think they will get the benefit of the doubt. Plus beating Arizona on the neutral court, the committee loves upper echelon wins, especially away from home. So that's something that's going to benefit them a lot more than I think the Bryant loss will hurt them. FAU, very divisive team for sure. Uh, even just on a game-to-game basis as you watch them, you don't know which version of them is going to show up. Long way to go to the finish line for the Owls, but uh, could see a variety of different outcomes being the end result. Lucas, who is the hardest team for you to see this week? You know, I got a few. Um, Florida Atlantic's definitely in the mix. and I agree with Brad. I think if they're on a seed line kind of hinge as we get later, especially with how much they brought back from last year, I think you could make the argument in the committee room this team's proven it more than anybody else in the area. Uh, they just have a longer track record in that regard. Other teams that are hard to see, Illinois and Kentucky are like impossible to please right now. I think that those are fan bases that are going to hate bracketology the entire rest of the year uh, because they're really good teams and their resumes don't really back it up. They're probably more on the four or five lines right now than what they easily could be if you ranked them, power ranked them one to 25. Um and then there's another tier there, the St. Mary's, Michigan State, BYU, really good metric darling teams um, that don't have as good a resumes. Uh, I have all three of them as single-digit seeds right now, uh, BYU in the best situation of those three. But St. Mary's and Michigan State, I think, put themselves in better position than maybe you think um, with how good their metrics are. And then I mentioned it with my bubble, Ole Miss is like impossible to figure out right now what you want to do with Ole Miss. I love a couple that you shouted out here, Lucas. I want to drill into one. I was making this point, I, I think, on Twitter maybe a week or so ago. And uh, people have their pitchforks out for me, Lucas. I speculated that Illinois might not have actually beaten a good team yet. There I said it. Their best two wins are Florida Atlantic and Michigan State. Do we know what either of those teams are? Like, like truthfully, do we? We we know what the metrics say right now. We don't know how good they actually are. Um, and yeah, Illinois fans were after me for that one. Lucas, is that a, a fair question for me to ask based on their resume? Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I, I think they're going to have. I mean, they're still nine and five against the upper three quadrants, five and four against the upper two. They're top fifteen in both quality metrics. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that they're going to get a good seed. Uh, and, and I think to some extent people forget just how good you are to be a four or five seed. Like I've seen comments like, how can you have Illinois as a four seed when they're 12th in the country? Like that That's kind of what 12th in the country means. <laughs> like there, there's only four teams per seed line. If you want to be a top three seed, you're going to have to be in the top 12. Uh, if you want to be a top two seed, you're in the top eight. Like it's tough. It, it's a really, really tough to be as highly seeded as people think. Um, their teams might be able to be. And Illinois is certainly in the mix to be a really high seed. Um, right now, I think they're more in that 4-5 range. Yeah, the problem, sorry to jump in, but the the problem I have um, with, and I agree with Lucas, the problem with that Illinois has is the Big Ten just isn't that great top to bottom. Um, so they don't have as many opportunities as a team like the Big 12. I mean, yeah, you got Purdue, you got Wisconsin. They're one of the opportunities. They can't play themselves. Yeah, right. And they're one of the three opportunities. Um, you know, even teams that we have in the field now, like a, like a Northwestern and a Michigan State, you know, Michigan State still needs to pick up some wins. Northwestern has a Q4 loss. Their metrics aren't very good. So even if you beat Northwestern at home, it's a good win. But is it, it's technically right now it's a Q3 win. Um, or no, I'm sorry, it's a Q2 win because now that they're top 70 in the if net. But last week, if you beat them by enough. 
If you beat him yeah, enough, right. it might be a Q3 win. <laughs> right. And and on another note, a team, another team that I want to mention is, you know, people complain about Illinois. Who have they beaten? How about a team like Auburn? Uh, Auburn is have has the metrics, top 12 metrics across the board. How many Q wins do they have? They have zero. They have zero Q1 wins. So what are you supposed to do with a team like Auburn? You know, the metrics say that they're a very good team. I've watched them play. They are a very good team. But again, the numbers are the numbers in terms of the quadrants, and the committee is looking for who you have you beaten. They just haven't gotten the opportunities yeah. yet to play those teams. But they will, and I think they'll prove themselves. But it's just they're an interesting team right now with a zero Q1 wins, and yet they're, you know, for a lot of people, they're a three or a four seed at the moment. Yeah, they've got one win against our projected field right now. Texas A&M is in the projected field. That's the only win Auburn has. Uh, we're going to take a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Big East. We've saved a lot of our commentary on Big East teams for this very moment in the show. There's teams on the rise. There's teams that are falling. We'll break it all down for you next on Fielding the 68. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Welcome back. You're watching Fielding the 68, our bracketology show every Monday and Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern is where you can find us. Breaking down our latest brackets with the best bracketologists in the business. Brad Wachtel, Lucas Harkins are here with me. My name is Greg Waddell. Fellas, we're going to talk about the Big East for the next couple of minutes here. Creighton and Marquette rising. Both those teams playing really well over the last couple of weeks. Providence, we mentioned them when we were talking bubble right on the cut line and then there's a bunch of other teams that i think we would all step back and say to some extent are good basketball teams that i just don't know what to make of talking st john's talking seton hall talking villanova so let's start with the two teams i mentioned at the top creighton and marquette both rising neither in the one seed conversation by any means right now uh lucas i'll throw it to you first where do you have creighton and marquette I've got both pretty solidly on the three seed line right now. I think they might even be my first and second three seeds. Yeah, they are. Um, one and two on the three, three, slot, three seed line for me. Um, they're a combined 13 and 10 against the upper two quadrants. Marquette's four and two in quad one A games this year. Um, they've been extremely good, and they put themselves in a really good spot overall. As you can see uh, on the screen, we got all of them are top 20 across the three biggest metrics there in the net KPI and BPI. I think both teams are in really good shape. And I, but I don't think they're in one seed contention either, as you already indicated. Brad, your thoughts? Yeah, I have them both as three seeds as well. Um, where I might disagree with, um, I think Marquette, there's a long way to go. I think Marquette is a team that could make it to a, the one line at some point. Because right now, if you look at their who they've beaten, they have more wins over the field than any other team that's in anybody's bracket right now. Um, they won at Illinois. Yeah, not, they beat Kansas. They, go ahead. I'm not opposed to them being in the conversation. It's just not today. <laughs> right, yeah, no, just, just I, okay, I agree with that. Just not today. But I do think Marquette has a chance down the line to, be, to get to that one line. Beat Kansas on a neutral site. Texas is playing better. Beat Creighton. Villanova, who's obviously fall off, fall off, fallen off a little bit. Um, and like I said, the road in Illinois. I think they've compiled such good wins um, if they continue at this pace, uh, they definitely have a chance to go up to the two line and depending on what the other one seeds do down the road, uh, have a chance to crack that line as well. I think the ceiling is very high for them. So is it fair to assume, Brad, then that you believe Marquette's ceiling is higher than Creighton's from a seed perspective going forward? I do. Okay. Yep. You agree with that, Lucas? Yeah, I do. It just the the four quad one A wins already is such a great starting point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Providence was the next team we talked about them in the in the bubble portion. Are there any other teams besides Providence that you would put in that tier with Providence of like will they won't they? Are we concerned they could fall out? They could jump? That they're really in a high leverage situation right now, Brad? Let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think Seton Hall is getting to that level. Uh, Seton Hall lost um, the other night without Kadari Richmond to Providence. Um, and I just don't think, while they do have the, the strong wins, beating UConn, beating Marquette, right now they're in. I feel good about them being in right now. But their predictive metrics aren't very strong. The result metrics are good. Uh, but... They're they're close. Their net is not in a very good spot at the moment, um, and you know they're they're hovering around seventy right now. I think they need to do a lot more. Um, they didn't do anything in non conference play as far as putting together quality wins. 
all their work has done, been done in the Big East, and that's fine. Uh, but they can't get complacent. They cannot get complacent. They got to keep winning games. Um, playing in the Big East, you have, you're in a conference with, yes, you're in a conference with teams like Marquette and UConn, but you're also in a conference with a team like DePaul. And I bring up DePaul because if you happen to take the night off against a team like DePaul, who is 300-plus in the net, and you lose a game like that to DePaul, that could ruin your season. If you're a team like Seton Hall, that's a team where lose a game like that, that could blow everything up. So when they're circling games on their schedule, if they're not circling DePaul, then they're, they're, they're missing out. They're going to be in trouble. Um, so I advise them not to lose to DePaul. It's a scary proposition just hearing you say those words out loud, Brad. I'm not going to lie. Lucas, you're a fan of a team in this conference. Uh, he mentioned Seton Hall as the other team with Providence that's right near the cut line. Do you agree that those two are the two right now? And is there anybody else you throw in the mix? No, I think it's a big mix. I think it's probably five teams right now for two or three spots from the Big East. Uh, and I think that's Villanova's trended towards a double-digit seed. I think Seton Hall and Providence are there too. Um, and then if you want to talk about teams that can't afford losing to DePaul or Georgetown, uh, Butler's 3-0 against those teams so far. Uh, they only have at DePaul left, so they're actually in, they don't have a quad three or four loss, and they're only going to play one more of those games all season. That's at DePaul. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they have three wins over the field. They won at Marquette, which is a great win. Uh, they got a neutral site win over Boise State and a home win over Texas Tech. They're certainly not out of the mix, and they get another big opportunity tomorrow. Uh, Butler hosts Villanova in which could, what could be a pretty big swing game um, on the bubble right now with how those teams are playing. And I'm not going to count out Xavier yet either. Um, nine losses, but they got five wins across the upper two quadrants. Their quality metrics are phenomenal. 36 in BPI, 34 in Ken Palm is better than most bubble teams. They're playing better as of late. Uh, that's a group that I think can still make a push to get in there. But I think for now, I think I'll have to pro project that two or three of that Villanova, Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, Xavier group will get in. And I feel pretty good about where St. John's is. Lucas, I have a question about your Butler Bulldogs here in response to what you said. I just looked it up. Nine of their final 11 games come against Ken Palm top 50 opponents, the two that do not. An away game at Seton Hall and then an away game at DePaul. Certainly you couldn't drop DePaul, but very, very difficult schedule down the stretch. A lot of opportunities for Butler. If you are a team in Butler's situation today where – you know, you're sitting there 13 and seven. You have work to do to get to the finish line. Uh, is it better to have a really difficult schedule like they do? Or would you rather have a schedule where there's a bunch of games you're expected to win, where you can rack up the numbers that get you 20, 21 wins at the end of the season? You know, I think it depends where your resume is. Um, if you're a team that already has a bad loss or two, you don't want to have more opportunities to pick up more. I think then it becomes a harder schedule situation, whereas Butler doesn't have a bad loss yet. So I think it's better to have more opportunities to pick up quality wins because as long as Butler wins at the Paul in their second to last game, they're going to enter selection Sunday with what I call a clean resume, which is no losses in quad three or four, which I think is a nice boost when you compare to some other teams on the bubble. And then it just comes down to if you, because right now Butler just has to pick up its wins. They're, they're not trying to overcome a bad loss. As much as they are, they just need more quantity um, against good against good teams. And I think if they pick up that quantity, having a starting point of three wins over the tournament field uh, is significant. But as you mentioned, the road ahead is really, really tough for Butler Group. They're four and five in conference play right now. I think they're going to have to finish 
Um, and I know the conference record is, is irrelevant, but when you look at where Butler's schedule is, I think they're going to have to get to 10 and 10 at best at worst. All right. I'm going to ask you both to do a little projecting here of that group of let's call it four teams. I'm going to select Providence, Seton Hall, St. John's and Villanova. How many of those four teams make the NCAA tournament? Throw it to you first, Brad, and then we'll go back to Lucas. I think St. John's will make the tournament. I think Villanova will ultimately make the tournament. And right now, I'm going to say Seton Hall makes it and Providence does not. Um, do I feel confident, confident in that right now? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, because so much can happen. Um, but I'm going to say three out of those four teams will make it. And and to, to talk about Butler real quick again, like Lucas had mentioned, I agree. The thing that's holding them bad, back, their Q1 record is 1-6. So if they can win games and if they could reach that point that Lucas is talk about, talking about, about conference wins, even though conference wins don't matter, they're going to get in because they already have the quality wins. Winning at Marquette, as we mentioned before, is a is, it's a monster win. It's a monster win. And so they just got to... To put on my fan hat here, they're also pretty close with the home win over Texas Tech. They're 33rd in the net. Top 30 gets another quad one win. They have a neutral slight win over Boise State, 56th in the net. They get top 50. That's a quad one win. They have two of the best quad two wins there are out there. It's very good wins. There's no question about it. Just got to keep winning some games in the Big East, and they could find themselves in the field. Yeah, it's a very good fan hat as well. <laughs> fans of the show better hope Butler falls off a map, or I am going to be – <laughs> all right uh i have a couple quick team hitters outside of the biggies thank you both for your thoughts and commentary uh that's a very very fun conference to watch as college basketball fans know but it's going to be very fun to see what happens to all of these teams and all the movement down the stretch of this season uh i, I want to ask you guys about alabama we haven't really discussed the tide yet and uh, i don't know if you guys know this or not but I don't give a piss about nothing but the Tide. And I simply need to know what has happened to Alabama after their huge win over Auburn this week. A very highly entertaining game, but a game that, you know, now leaves Alabama in a spot where they finally got the huge resume win. They had this loaded non-conference with a bunch of opportunities, and ultimately they ended non-conference play and began SEC play without any wins against the Ken Palm top 30. They finally pick up their first one at home against Auburn. How much did that swing things for the Tide? Lucas, we'll throw it to you first. For one, a lot. I mean, it's a great win. No doubt about it. I think that that's the biggest thing that impacted them. But also say Alabama's really benefited from some wins aging well. Um, Oregon's played really well lately. Indiana State's a legitimate at-large contender. Um, South Carolina picked up its win over Kentucky. Mississippi State's pretty pretty well. Those are all teams that are in the NCAA tournament conversation. Not to mention that Alabama's metrics are off the charts good. Uh, sixth in the BPI, eight in Ken Palm, eight in the net. Uh, I've got them up on the four line. Hmm. Okay, all the way up to four. Brad, where do you have the Tide? I have Alabama as a five seed at the moment. Like Lucas had mentioned, their metrics are so strong. Need to get the top-tier wins, and they could move up. Their ceiling is, is relatively high. Um, you know, if they could beat teams like Kentucky, uh, teams like Tennessee at, at the top of the SEC, they have a chance to really, really improve their seed level. Um, but that win over Auburn was a, was a statement win, even though it came at home. Still a big win and a rivalry game. Um, but I have him as a five seed at the moment. 
interesting. Okay. Uh, another team I could see a lot of fluctuation with depending on how they do against the best teams in the SEC the rest of the season. One more quick hitter for you guys. This is the team with the longest active win streak in the nation. That would be the Dayton Flyers, 16-2 and two on the season. They have not lost a game going all the way back to that loss on a neutral November 19th to the number one ranked team on Ken Palm, the Houston Cougars. Brad, uh, what do you make of Dayton right now? Where do you have them on your seed list? I have Dayton as a three seed right now. They have a top 10 strength of record, top 10 KPI. So their result metrics are ridiculously strong. So they're in a good spot right now, even though they don't have the top tier win. Um, they did beat St. John's on a neutral court. They beat Cincinnati, who's a bubble team, on a neutral court. So those are two good wins at SMU. You know, it was a quality win, even though they're not in the field at the moment. Um, okay. Atlantic 10, unfortunately, they don't have any more opportunities, really. Um, that's really going to move the needle at all. So for them to move up, they're going to need other teams to move down. How much could they move up? Could they get to the two line? I think it's possible. Um, I don't think they get any higher than that. And I think two could be a little bit of a stretch because I had them as a four last week. They're, they've been bumped up to a three. Um, are they going to keep winning out? Probably not. They're going to fall you know, to an Atlantic 10 team and that's going to hurt their metrics a little bit. Uh, but right now, you know, who's hotter than them in the country? They're in a good spot right now and a, and a solid three seed. Yeah, really, really good spot. Lucas, where do you have the Flyers? Yeah, I also have Dayton as a three, though I think this is the ceiling. I think I have a hard time with the opportunities that they have left in the A-10. I have a hard time seeing them jump up to a two line. And I think any losses they take are, are detrimental more so than teams behind them. Like if you look at just – the group behind them in terms of quality, like the teams in quality metrics that you would project to improve their resumes over the coming coming month and a half. Like they're ahead of an Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky, Illinois, Iowa State for me. All of those teams are top 15 in Ken Palm, and all of those teams I think have a better chance of just kind of growing their resume than Dayton does just based off opportunities. But I do think with how well Dayton has played and how well they've played against the remaining schedule that they have coming up, I think they're pretty safely going to be a top five or six seed. I love watching this team play basketball. This is a team that certainly can make some noise in March, especially if they end up on the seed line where you guys currently have them. If they get a favorable draw up there on the three line or higher, absolutely love their chances. All right. It's a great weekend slate, as all Saturday slates are at this point in the season. I want you guys to give me two of your biggest games to watch this weekend. Brad, we'll throw it back to you here. What are your games you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, so a couple teams we've we've talked about. Uh, Georgetown at Providence, uh, that actually tops my list. And for Lucas and I, who both have Providence in the field at the moment, um, losing to Georgetown would be a killer. And normally, okay, they should beat Georgetown at home, but no, we know this is a, suddenly this is a rivalry game. This is Ed Cooley returning back to Providence. Providence fans want this more than anything. But I guarantee you, Georgetown is going to be up for this game. And his players, he knows they know the deal. So I think they're going to bat for him. I think this is going to be an all-out war. And, I, I, you know, it would not shock me if Georgetown pulls the upset. It also wouldn't shock me if they lose by 30 or 40. Um, but it, this is one <laughs> interesting game uh, that I'm looking forward to because that environment is going to be unbelievable. So that's number one for me. Uh, second game I'm looking forward to is – I would say Auburn at Mississippi State is a big one because I'm waiting for Auburn to get that Q1 win, uh, and this is their opportunity. Can they get one? Are they going to drop to 0-4, and it's still going to be 
what's going on? What are we doing here? Um, and at the same time, Mississippi State really needs a win to remain in the field. And a loss, depending on how other teams do, could potentially knock them out. Couple good ones there, Lucas. What are your two games to watch this weekend? Yeah, there's a bun- there's an abundance of them. I, I think. I mean, to leave to leave Kansas State, uh, to leave Kansas Iowa State off feels like disingenuous. But as far as picking teams that I think games that have the most impact on the field and who's going to eventually make the tournament, uh, for one, I'll go to the ACC, uh, North Carolina at Florida State. Uh, Florida State's got a huge opportunity at home against a really, really good North Carolina team where they can make a splash. They can pick up a splash victory um, and then heading back to the Big East and not the most entertaining storyline of the weekend, which, as Brad articulately put, is Providence Georgetown. Um, Villanova at Butler. Uh, Butler with an opportunity to pick up another quad two win and get closer to the cut line. Um, Villanova's on a three game losing streak. Uh, they're going to have to they're going to have to get back and bounce back with what would be a quad one road win. Um, or they're going to have work to do. Love it. All right, I've also, got that, just that, one for you guys. I, I've got just one for you guys. Clemson at Duke. Clemson started the year 9-0, and really trending in the wrong direction lately. They think they're going to be desperate at Cameron Indoor and uh, could really drastically change their seating potentially on how that game goes. All right, great job today, gentlemen. I appreciate all your work this week. That's Brad Wachtel. That's Lucas Harkins. My name is Greg Waddell. We will be back here on this Bracketology program Monday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next week.